building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. So I had some interesting conversations with a good friend of mine named Tim Dunn. And Tim is a guy who is extremely successful in the oil and gas industry and uh, in every sense of the word. And Tim and I see the world very much the same way from different aspects. He's a mechanical engineer. I'm an English lit major. So we have this sort of different way of processing, but coming to the same result. And so the, the conversations were so rich with Tim that we did a whole long series of them. And I think you guys are going to be really blessed. We've covered every issue from raising kids to different theological issues to being a man that I think you're going to find fascinating. So we have a long series here with Tim Dunn that I think you guys are really going to enjoy and be blessed with. Um, And just remember as you listen to these that he is one of the most successful businessmen in America, but also a deeply godly man with a deep understanding of scripture. Not wise to not talk about business. Um, We've both been very successful. Um, you more than me. You have an amazing company here in Texas. You're very influential. So when you start thinking about the concepts of somebody who's working, successful, honest with themselves, the people that you hire, what are the things that you look for? And, and so we can sort of take this in kind of a scriptural way of the dual thing of being a successful worker for Christ, but also being someone in business, especially as a lot of our audience are, are men being successful at what you do, being proud of who you are in, at work. What are those things that you look for in someone, men or women, that are going to be successful? Yeah, well, of course, it's really important to define success. And what I like to do is always have a real clear there. We do the servant leadership training, which I'd recommend to anybody. The framework of life is there here path, okay? Having being in current reality where you are. Current reality is an acquired taste, but it's your friend. That's here. And most of the tools we have are ways to get in reality. But then having a clear idea of where you're going. And my recommendation is always to come up with some sort of uh, destiny, a goal, a purpose that no one else can thwart that's totally within your control. Of your quotes, say that again, because it's important. That that yeah, is- that's totally within your control. So I've, I've talked a lot about not living in a, an illusion of that you control things you don't. But there are things you do control. You control who you trust or what you depend on. You, you control how you look at things and you control what actions you take. So why not set up an objective that's just within my agency to make happen? Okay. And if you'll listen to, again, I, I'm, I'm always tuned to this because this is an a important part of my philosophy. If you'll listen to really great baseball players, they always talk about success based on things they can control. So like the reporters, I, I was just listening to this one from, the, uh, re, well, from a recent uh, playoff and the losing manager. They were talking about somebody that had an at-bat that you know didn't get the result that they were hoping for. And the manager said, well, that guy had a good at bat. He had a really good approach. And uh, I, have a, I have a friend who had two sons that played in the major leagues. And, he, and I asked him, well, 
you know, what does it take? And he said, well, a lot of guys in the minors that have all the tools to be in the majors, there's two things that they don't have. The ability to endure the grind of 162 games and be up for every game. So that's perseverance. And the other is to have a definition to deal with 70. If you're a great hitter, you fail 70% of the time. And the way you deal with that is you do not have a definition of success based on the result. You have the base definition of success based on your approach to each bat. Hmm. Did I make good swing decisions? Did I have a good game plan when I went up to the bat? Because you may crush the ball and it just happens to go straight to somebody. Well, there's nothing you can do about that, mm-hmm. right? But if you had a great approach, you had good swing decisions, you you may have somebody that, you know, threw a pitch that darted somewhere, you had no idea where it was going to go, and you can't hit it. Well, it just is what it is. But if you did what you could do, that should be success. So I always say, you know, try to come up with a goal, a definition of success that you can do. And here's the great thing about this, um, you know, judgment seat of Christ, biblical uh, perspective, we're, it's totally up to us as to whether we're faithful or not. Now, God will judge. God does. Jesus is going to determine whether we're faithful or not. But it's up to us to be faithful. And we, all we can do is our best. Have a good approach. You know, we can't control circumstances. We can't control outcomes. We can't control other people's uh, reactions. Just do your best. And I'd say the same thing in business. You know, you try to set up a company the best you can, manage all the risks you can manage, um, hire the people that you can and train them, uh, point everybody in the same direction, um, have a great financial plan, have a good risk management plan, and do the best you can. And if if that that should be your definition of success, I mm. did everything I could do. Because it may be that uh, it may be that interest rates kill you or or, um, you know, in the case of COVID, you know, everybody stops moving and nobody burns gasoline anymore. I mean, there's nothing we could do about that. As an oil guy. Yeah, I'm in the oil business, yeah. So there's nothing we could do about that. And, you know, I had a conversation with somebody and, they, you know, our value had dropped dramatically because the price had dropped so much. And they said something about it. And it was like, well, you know, we're the same company we were before. All that's changed is people's perceptions of it. But, you know, we're not selling, so it's fine. <laughs> this is why you see so many people who have become extremely successful, who failed many, many times before they made it. That What they did was they, they didn't stop. They learned from their mistakes. They stayed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, was Abraham Lincoln famously lost like 42 elections before he became president. <laughs> he, the only election he, he won, Congressman, he, he lost for postmaster general. He lost everything and then he became president. He never stopped stayed true to his convictions, who he was, changed the world. Yeah, and if he hadn't have been made president, he still would have been successful if he had, if he was taking a good approach. You know, just keep taking a good approach. It does the, don't look at results. Don't look at outcomes. Look at, look at what you can do faithfully. Isn't it so, that, that's why it's so important, and it's one of the things I teach all the time, is um, looking at what success is, and success is in the eyes of Christ and only in the eyes of Christ. And mm-hmm. so... What am, why am I doing spiritually what I'm doing to please the master? And so I, I think so many, uh, one of the problems with the uh, Western Americanized church is 
we look at success through the eyes of the world of how many people do I have in my seats? How big is my building? How many people am I in charge of? And I think it was uh, Francis Chan who famously said he decided it was time to stop being uh, in charge of his huge church when he realized that if Jesus came, he, his church would be smaller than Francis's, you know, <laughs> because Jesus is teaching self-sacrifice, die to yourself daily uh, and all this. And so you had said yesterday uh, when we were talking that um, we don't know who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven are going to be until we get there. Mm -hmm. And these people who are famous, maybe they are, maybe, maybe they're not, maybe not. And, uh, uh, the famous Texan pastor, uh, actually Tennessean pastor, uh, Jay Vernon McGee, uh, who went No, uh, he's from Texas. He's from Corpus Christi. Was he? Yeah, oh, he's okay. from Corpus, yeah. And he went to DTS, and he was over in L.A., had a huge church, and, and he was yeah. one of my favorite preachers. And he he tells a story that I've told a few times of the the huge pastor, best-selling author who dies and goes to heaven, and Jesus is taking him out to his mansion, and they pull up in front of a huge mansion, and not far from the center of town, and the guy's like, yeah, this looks like what I should get. And Jesus goes, oh, no, no, this isn't yours. This is the winter, Widow Mahoney's. And the guy goes, who's the Widow Mahoney? Well, she went to your church for 50 years. You just never knew her. <laughs> and, oh, okay. So then they're driving out. He's like, well, I can't wait to see what mine's going to look like uh -huh. if that's hers. And then, they, of course, they, they drive out to the suburbs and they get to a little shack, a little cottage, and Jesus goes, there's yours. And the guy's offended and says, you know, I was a best-selling author and I did this and I did that and I was famous and... And Jesus said, and yeah, and the reason you were successful at all those, all those things is because the widow Mahoney was underneath praying for you every day. <laughs> and that's that idea of what is success and what is our eyes on for success? Yeah, and pe people tend to say, you know, you're successful because you have, you know, a certain amount of worth or a certain amount of value, a certain amount of income. Look, all that can be gone tomorrow. I mean, I, I you know, we have a very successful company in the, in the way that world tends to score things, which is great. You know, that's, that's a great thing to have, but uh, it can all be gone tomorrow. I mean, um, you know, the dollar can collapse, the oil market can collapse, the financial market can collapse. I can tell you many, many ways that the world can end, the financial world can end. And we've seen a couple of instances where it almost did, you know? Well, there's a reason why Jesus said, if you're not willing to say goodbye to all your possessions, you're not worthy of me. Yeah. And so now I don't want that to happen. Sure. I, that's, that's not my objective. Um, I, I look, I look at, so I'm a foinker, uh, that, and that, that's somebody that, that stands for fear of imaginary negative consequences. So my mind <laughs> automatically plays out all, all kinds of, uh, scenarios that can take place. And a guy, a guy pointed it out to me one time. He said, I think you're this way. And I, yeah, I really am. And he said, well, here's what you tend to do if you're a foinker. You, you tend to you know, imagine some series of events and then pick one of those things and try to control it. And in that way, you give yourself the illusion you're controlling the future. Mm. And I said, well, I absolutely do that. And he said, well, here's how you solve that. You, you, you play the scenario out, you know, stock market's going to crash or whatever. And you say, okay, can that happen? Answer is yes, anything can happen. And the second question is, well, if that happened, could you trust God? And said, yeah, I could. Okay, well, now, so that scenario is, I ask myself a third thing. Is there anything, if that happened, that I would look back and wish I had done now? Yeah, I think that's an important one. And, and if, I, if the answer is yes, I'll go ahead and do that thing. You know, I own some gold. You know, there's, there's some various things that, that I do. But I don't obsess about any of those.
those things. I mean, it's not very probable. Uh, and, but you know, if I, I do want to take, you know, I want to be wise, but you know, if those things happen, then we have a new circumstance to trust God, you know? So, you know, my wife treats every relationship that way. I mean, she always says, if, if that person died tomorrow, is there anything you wish you would have done or said mm. differently? And mm -hmm. that has been very, you talk about parents, you talk mm -hmm. about bitterness, what we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. um, to know that if whomever it is, your child, your, your sibling, your friend, your parents, if they die tomorrow, is everything okay between us? Is there anything I wish I would have said, mm -hmm. forgiven, done differently? And I've tried to live my wife, my life that way based on her advice. And it's, it's remarkably freeing because I, there's not anybody I can think of that, that I, I would be like, oh, geez, you know. Yeah. And, you know, your life can end tomorrow and everybody else's life can end tomorrow. And I, that's not what I want either. I, I don't want to hear, I don't want to get another call that my brother-in-law has died in a head-on collision. I don't want to get another call that my granddaughter has died on a, in a nap. I don't, want, I don't want to get those calls. But, you know, if they do happen, then, you know, it's a, can I trust God? Or not? That's the fundamental question. Hmm. So again, going back to what is success, I think success is taking the right approach to life. Um, so let's say James. James says, make a plan, hold it with open hands. You know, don't say we're going to go to so much in, you know, city and make a profit. Say if the Lord wills, we're going to do that. So it doesn't say don't make a plan. It just says, Make a plan and then recognize the events are going to end up like they end up. Look in the Revolutionary War, they used to say, trust in God, but keep your powder dry. Yeah. Right? Make yeah. sure your musket works. Yeah, it's trust the same, Lord. same idea. So, and, you know, I can look back on our company and uh, we've, been, we've been going through some exercises. I've been doing some training of some of our leaders of um, business business principles based on effective mental models that drive companies. So just as a little aside, I've decided the main thing a great leader does in any organization is focus on building structures. So structure determines behavior. And a structure is anything that is a series of obstacles that creates a path of least resistance. So this building we're in, is a series of obstacles, walls, and it has doors. So we've been going in and out the door. We could break a hole in the wall I mean, to get out and then lower ourselves down on a rope or something, but why do that when there's a door? Okay, <laughs> you, you tend to go through path of least resistance. So there's organizational structures, legal structures. Um, your waterstone has a legal structure, you know, and, and you're, you're making it the path of least resistance to give money put it in your fund, for example. Well, the most powerful structures are mental models, your idea in your mind about how things work. Perspectives. A mental model is a type of perspective. And most, most mental models, most perspectives we acquire don't realize we acquired it and didn't actually intentionally choose it. And so one of the key things to do to have a highly constructive life as a leader of any kind of leader is to step back and say, okay, which of these mental models do I want to keep and which do I want to discard? Which do I want to modify? What's really true? What is a true perspective? What's a true mental model? 
So building mental models for people is enormously important. And one of those mental models is a mental model of how we engage as an organization, how we engage with one another. We call that culture. A culture is an expression of the values of the organization. And culture happens because of structures. Okay, so you build those structures. Well, if I if I am a leader and I really build really great structures and I am in make and I'm doing what I can do, well, the market, the market may cooperate and the market may not. And I want to do everything I can so that we have a good outcome, but I, I can't control that. So um, you know, I I have I have chosen that approach to define success in business. Now, here's another, I think, important thing. I have very deliberately unsegmented my life. So I don't have one approach in business and another approach in ministry and another approach in church. It's just to me, a lot of times people have this hierarchy, like I forget how they do it, like God, it's like God, church, family, work or something like that, politics, you know, keep going down. And and to me, it's just God, work. I, I, I work for God and I, and God has given me a bunch of jobs to do. I have a, a dad job and a grandfather job and a husband job and a civic leader job and a, and a business job. And, you know, I have all these different jobs and, and it's my responsibility to balance all these things. I can't, I can't do everything. So I got to, how can I best leverage my gifts in all these arenas? Okay, so the, what we're doing right now is I feel like God has shown me some things and I'm trying to find ways I can use small bits of time to leverage that to bless other people. Okay, so that, that's what this is. And it's, a, it's a, an overall a stewardship. You know, I'm, he's the master, I'm the steward. How do I steward everything that he's given me? So the principles I use in business are the same principles I use everywhere else. And uh, and it's and it's all basically leadership, taking responsibility, and and trying to build structures that create the path of least resistance for people to get to to accomplish the purpose that they signed up for. Now, when you see the world that way, mm-hmm. there's a remarkable inability to be a hypocrite because you're always the same person. And when people segment, well, I'm I'm church me and I'm work me and I'm father me. And then you have different faces. I'm, I'm not saying that they're wrong, but they certainly um, cause you to behave in a different way that, that a certain me then therefore is not, you know, who I am. Whereas I, I see, as we were talking before, it's, I'm just me. It doesn't really matter who I'm with. I, I don't change for anybody. And if it's offensive to somebody, that's, that's their problem. That's how I see it. Because I, I just want to be the one guy all the time, um, it, whether I'm with um, a bunch of pastors or I'm with my old LA cop buddies, I'm the same guy. Because that, that to me is a value that I have. Yeah, I, I want you know everybody's got the same values, but we all prioritize them different. And and probably my top value is integrity. And integrity is everything fits together like it's supposed to. Like that. Remember when the DC-10 wings fell off because of one bolt? Uh, well, it's lack of integrity. One piece was missing, and so to me, I, I need to be—I need to be 
my my gifts, my set of orient, you know, my gifting, my stewardship in every one of those arenas. Now, I'm very uh, naturally gifted at being a hypocrite. You know, self justification is is comes very naturally to me. So this has been a a very you know, I'm I'm essentially by all the things I said to you, I'm choosing my own mental model and building an internal structure to make my path of least resistance to have integrity. Mm, okay. Because you you need those you need those mental models for yourself too, because structure does determine behavior. And I want to make good choices, but see how these three things that I steward uh, come together. If I trust what God says and build my internal mental models, my, my perspectives based on what God says, then that creates the path of least resistance for actions. The third thing I control to be to uh, do what God tells me to do. See how those things integrate. And, and this is, well, why do you study the Bible? I, I study the Bible because I want a success. I want success. And the Bible, you could, you could summarize the Bible sort of as, dear humans, I made you, I gave you choice, I gave you three things that you could steward, but I recognize you don't really know anything. And rather than you having to figure everything out for yourself through trial and error, I'm going to give you a book that tells you how everything works. And if you want to, you can go to this book and find out how everything works. Love God. You know, so... All right, well, I mean, he's, he says in the Bible, all the gold you want, all the success you want, you get by listening to me. Okay, so if, if you take this, if you get this mental model, if you get this perspective, if you get this renewed mind, Romans 12 calls it, then you are rich, irrespective of how much money you have. So when you think about business, transitioning over to that side of it. What are the things that you look for uh, in a guy that has been successful, built a, a successful oil and gas company? Um, you know, as guys are listening to this going, maybe I need to change my career mm-hmm. or maybe I, I haven't been as successful as I wish or whatever the things may be. And they have a chance to, to sit here and look at a guy as a major employer here. What would they, what would you say to them and looking for success? Well, I, I do get asked this um, occasionally, and I, I, always, I always tell people, first, get content where you are. So that's number one. Because if, if you chase circumstances, if you ch- chase circumstances for contentment or happiness, then you, you've got the wrong perspective. Okay, but you're talking to, it's about a guy who uh, COVID put him out of business, or he lost his job, and now he's he's on you know, yeah. he's desperate to to provide for his family. Sure, he's hearing that going. How am I supposed to be content if I can't care for my family? Well, I mean, yeah, that's I'm I'm not saying it's easy, but you know, contentment is being being okay with the circumstances you have. Okay, now. Once you're content with circumstances you have, in other words, you're not blaming your boss or you're not a victim. Okay. okay? You're not a victim. You're content where you are. You have perfect freedom to choose any circumstances you want to. And by the way, as a guy who's, who's hired a lot of people myself, um, that's the number one thing that anybody who's interviewing is looking for is a victim mentality. And so when they ask you why you left your last job, even if you think that you got completely ripped off, 
and your boss was the biggest creep in the face of the planet, shut your mouth <laughs> because that is the number one way to not get hired. Well, and it's a bad reason to leave. You know, if, if truly you, you're miserable because your boss is a jerk and all that kind of stuff, get content first with doing what you can do to make that situation better. And then you're free to leave, I would say. Same thing with changing churches or something. You know, don't leave mad. Get content first. But then, then now you're free to choose whatever circumstance you want to. I mean, First uh, Thessalonians 4, 3, this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's how you do things, not what you do that God matters to God. Paul was in Asia. He's in the Galatian region. He wants to go up north. The Holy Spirit says, no, come to Macedonia. If there's a circumstantial thing that is important, God will let you know. Meanwhile, pick whatever you like. It's fine. Okay, so that's number two. Number three, when we look for employees, and, and our, we've mostly hired straight out of school or straight out of, the, of uh, you know, young guys that have just you know, had their first job, in some cases right out of high school, and we train. So we hire and train. We mostly, there's a huge training organization. Yeah, what's your uh, average age, 28? Uh, that'd be my guess, 28, 30. Maybe I mean, just walking around the halls of your, your, your different offices, it's remarkable how younger staff is. Yeah, well, that's because we train most of them. And here's what we look for. So like, like an engineer coming right out of school, we're an oil company, so we, we're a construction, we're a general contractor in essence, in essence. Almost all of our guys are either designing something we're going to build or supervising something we're building. Most of the actual workers we have are, sub, are employees of the subcontractors. Okay. All right. So um, if you think about building a house, you know, our one guy will be out there supervising the house and then there'll be a crew come and lay the foundation and a framing crew. And Well, the well construction is the same way. You got different companies that do different things. So um, we look for three things. We look when we hire someone, we look for work ethic, number one. Has the, has, has the person done something hard and, and endured in doing that hard thing? Have they worked their way through school? Did they, did they grow up on a ranch? Did they play college athletics? You know, what, did they go in the military? You know, what have they done that's hard that tell us they know how to work? Mm. That's number one. Number two... Do they have aptitude? You know, what grades did they make? What um, what tells us that they know how to be a problem solver, how to be a how to be a leader? And then number three, um, are, do they have character? And the character we really would define as the ability to live in a circle of choice instead of the victim circle. Mm. Okay, and and people will tell you if they're victims within a minute. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And people have asked me many times, well, how do you know? And said, so, well, I know because they tell me. And and it's basically, am I acting on the world or is the world acting on me? And someone who feels like the world's always acting on them, they'll tell you that. They can't help it. They'll tell you that in a in, in very short period of time. And it's a miserable way to live, by the way. I, I talked to a life coach once, become a very big business, and I was curious what it was about. And essentially what she told me was she's teaching people how to make choices again, mm. people that have lost their agency and they feel like they're victims, which is really sad. But, I mean, I, I applaud I applaud anyone that get, want to get out of the victim circle, <laughs> but we just, we just don't hire victims. We need people that can act on circumstances, not people that – I want to look for somebody to blame or look for an excuse. 
We didn't want people that take responsibility. So those are the three things we we look for. And uh, we've had amazing success in hiring. Mm. Yeah, and it's also victims who are the ones that sue when they get fired for, well, you know. Re- re- reasonable statement. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. We were talking before, like I had said, I had fired three Harvard MBAs when I was um, running a company. And because I found that in all three cases, they were guys who thought that their degree was the end game. Uh, and, and they that, were entitled now. I remember walking one of the guys down to his office, pointing to his Harvard degree on his wall. And I say, you see that degree? That doesn't make me any money. <laughs> Your job here is to make me money, right? <laughs> to, to put it crassly. But, um, you, you see people who just, um, the victim mentality as it grows and grows and grows, it's harder and harder to run companies and find that character that you're looking for of people who are dedicated you know, one of the things that we have found, it's harder to fa- to hire young people. And I, I, I don't like making blanket generational statements, but this is one that that um, we have found it's it's very difficult. Um, there is a, a lack of an understanding of paying your dues in, in this generation than we were raised with. I mean, I remember just being beat into my head when I was younger. Um, you know, you pay your dues. You know, that person has been there for a long time and you come in, you keep your head down, you work hard, you stay humble. You say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, and you work your way up. Whereas I find a lot of the younger generation doesn't understand that, you know, 30 years of experience means something. And so they, they tend to come in with this, well, now that I'm here, I'm the equal with everybody else. And why, why don't I get the corner office? Why do you get the corner office? And it's been a, a frustrating thing, um, even for us in the Christian world, hiring younger people who they just have a different mentality of respect for authority. Uh, have you guys... Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's that's a definitely a generational characteristic. Uh, we've taken it as a positive. You have, yeah. We've taken it as a positive, and we've set up a structure. We call it promote yourself. Okay, and so we give people uh, we give people ample time in their day where they can do other things other than what their you know necessary job assignment is, and we tell them go learn all you want to. You can consume all the knowledge you want to anywhere in the company, and you can take on all the responsibility you're able. Promote yourself. So, you know, we kind of lean into their ambition, and they're like, well, you're not going to give me anything? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going to give you. Yes, we're going to give you an opportunity to prove what you're capable of. And so what, that is feeding into that ambition of why should I have a ceiling? Why should someone else decide my timeline? And we're like, Okay, you decide your timeline. It's open for you. And you know what we found is some guys have taken it, and man, I, do you, I think you met one last night. We went out, and there's a guy. Well, it was a thing. He was a supervisor within two years. He just just did just knocked it out of the park. And you know, other guys go slower. It's fine. You know, we just try to make it clear. You know, you get promoted when you can do these things. And you promote yourself because promotion is responsibility. Title and all that follows after. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, 
real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. Yeah, seeing you, I mean, last night um, we went to a company function of yours mm -hmm. and, and uh, the, the morale and the sort of family atmosphere and the way people treated you, it was, it was with respect, but it was pretty casual. You were not walking around like the king. I no. mean, I didn't see people running up to try to kiss your, your rear end. It, it was very casual. No, I actually, <laughs> when, when we first started the company, we had guys that were out of the industry, you know, tramp, lateral transfers. So all these guys are, that you met last night, almost all of them grew up in our company. So this culture is mostly what they've known, uh, at least in the oil business. And uh, when we when we had mostly lateral transfers, if I went into somebody's office and said, hey, have you ever thought about this or that? I was always getting interpreted like I'd told them to do something. Really? Like, yeah, like I, I didn't ask you to do anything. I just asked, you know, have we thought about this? And that's very much your your way, I've noticed. You ask lots of questions. Yeah, I'm kind of a brainstorming guy. Well, now in the company today, if I want something done, I have to go in and say, okay, I don't. I know I don't do this very often, but I'm actually giving you a command now. So I'm, <laughs> I I'm going to tell you something that I actually expect you to do it. I'm not just asking. I'm not just throwing out an idea. I'm making a suggestion, which is an enormous positive because I'm. Everybody understands they're responsible to do the job, and I, I'm. I'm the admiral, and they're the captain. You know, I'm. I'm. I've got a position of authority. But what I mostly do is build structures. And within those structures, they understand where the boundaries are and what their responsibility is and what they're expected to do. And they know when they need to come ask for help. So I, I, I'm mostly don't, I don't have to touch most of what happens in our company. And, you know, we do a lot. But that's because I built the structures for, to do that. So let me ask you a, a question that nobody can answer right now is that we see um, we see pending hyperinflation, everybody thinks anyway. Um, we just see all this, uh, we, you know, the national debt gone crazy, et cetera, et cetera. And everyone is wondering what to do. Like, where's the economy going? Um, where's oil and gas going, right, with, the, with the, all these electric cars and everything? Give some thoughts as a guy who's thought deeply into these things, both politically and in a business sense. Um, what is your best guess about where we're going and the best way for someone to stay safe and 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 be successful in business in this where you this think we're going? Crazy environment. Well, you know, the you know, I'm I'm gonna give you a philosophical answer and then and uh first, you know, money, money is a funny thing. Okay. Money is Actually, if you boil it all down, it's the trust we have in each other. That's what money is. Kind of fascinating when you think about it, right? Because 
the fact that I have an accounting entry in a computer, uh, what does that mean? Why is it that you're willing to do something for me based on me transferring a computer entry from my ledger to your ledger? You can't eat that. You can't eat those bytes that I transferred. You can't burn them in the fireplace. You can't do it. It's just because we trust one another. Okay. So our whole economy is built on trust and mutual work. So and if the economy were to melt down, if everybody was willing to keep working for each other, we could start it right back up again. So uh, the, the, it's, it's, it's a very fascinating thing. That is a fascinating statement, and it's a true statement. Yeah. So, um, But that's the nexus of what people are afraid of, is that the dollar mm-hmm. will lose its value. You've got Bitcoin yeah. and all this stuff. And then the dollar, of course, is completely worthless. It, it's only worth what people's confidence in it is. It's worth what people's confidence in it are. But here's the thing is, if as long people as have the freedom to come up with something else, they'll find some other way to to have trust in one another. So you know, I I don't. I'll start from the bottom up. I don't really believe in the survivalist thing. the the way The best security we can have is really have strong communities. So getting involved in your local civics, I think, is really important, mm. and your local community. And having strong connections with people in your local community, I think that's that's probably the safest thing you can do in the sort of the zombie apocalypse kind of question. And then and then assuming that okay, we're not going to have a zombie pop, uh, apocalypse. Or what within that? Well, if you're going to have hyperinflation, and the government's not going to take ex, ex, expropriate your property, okay, then historically. One of the best things you can have is real assets, you know, real property. Real estate, gold. Real estate, gold, oil and gas. But gold, again, is just a, I mean, it has no intrinsic value. It only has value because. Because we've said so for the last 6,000 years. Because we said so, yeah. Um, Oil and gas has no intrinsic value either. It has value because it's it's a miracle fuel, a high-density fuel that people can use to port themselves around and. And they value being able to port themselves around. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's why it has value. Uh, farmland, you know, these days, um, agriculture is a pretty low margin business and very difficult. You know, it's a high volume, low margin business, and in large part, you know, exists on government subsidies. Um, but in, in the zombie apocalypse, you'll wish you had some turnips. But you know, here's here's a here's a thought. One of the great hedges you can have against inflation is to have a really thriving uh, small business in the local community, doing something that people are always going to need. You know, a plumbing business or a, or a, you know, what is it? The guy used to have the dirty jobs. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, d- doing something that people really need done. Well, somebody needs a new career. You know what? It seems like there's desperate need of is locksmiths. Ah. I mean, everywhere I go, I see you know, if you want to. Well, the door fixed or something. I mean, can't we can't get it done. Yeah, we. One of the foundation I run, we have a place in Dallas. We needed to put in a Bluetooth lock, and they said it was three months out, too, because <laughs> the locksmith is booked out. So I know there's lots of people listening to this going, "Well, I, I need a career. I don't know." Based on my experience on several different markets, you might want to look into being a locksmith. 
Maybe so. I mean, uh, there's job help wanted signs everywhere. But the major the major complaint I hear from business leaders is um, labor la- lack of labor, mm-hmm. and I think they're probably talking about skilled labor. But no, you know, we we were we were just talking to a guy who owns the Panikin, local Panikin, and not Panikin, Panera, Panera Bread in, in uh, Colorado Springs. And he was out busting his hump trying to do everything himself. And he said that pre-COVID or pre-meltdown, he had 42 employees. He now has six. Oh, okay. Six. Because he can't hire anybody. And we're seeing restaurants closing on, you know, Mondays and Tuesdays or whatever because they don't have enough labor to fill up all the days. So it's yeah. certainly not just skilled labor. Well, that's a good point. I was, I was, We were just up in uh, Michigan at a wedding. And uh, we went to a restaurant. The guy said, I'm closing early because I just don't have enough labor and I'm not willing to lower the quality standard. So that's a big issue. And, you know, there's nobody knows exactly why that is. You know, there was an incentive not to work for a while. Uh, but uh, my uh, one of my sons was talking to me and he said he thinks what it is, is people people stopped working for a while and realized I don't really like doing that, <laughs> you know, and they're looking for something they really want to do. And that's not all a bad thing. You but, know, but how do they put food on the table? Well, it, you know, there's a lot of families where the second job probably is a money loser. Huh. Okay. Where, you know, Maybe you put your yourself daycare and all that kind of stuff after. So if you got two income earners, whichever one of them is the lower income earner, by the time you say, by the time you put that in the extra tax bracket and then do daycare and extra commuting, extra parking, extra clothing, Extra lunches, a gasoline at five bucks a gallon. Thanks to you, extra man. gas, <laughs> and then we're and then we're tired at night, so we go eat out. By the time you add all that up, you may be in that extra job. You you might be earning two dollars an hour. You may be earning nothing. That's interesting. And so uh, they may have learned. They may have learned that. Well, first of all, I don't like doing that very much, and secondly, I like being with my kids mm-hmm. instead of dropping them off somewhere else, and and thirdly. I've got I got more money at the end of the month than I had before because I learned how to bake again and I learned how to cook again and we you know go to the grocery you know you go to the grocery store and make your food it's a small fraction of what it costs to eat out and we're all eating around the same table and I like my life better now I'm not going to go back to that other way and so I hope I hope it's a lot of that mm-hmm. I do because I think that's a real positive thing that's very interesting you know my son Coleman um he got a job as a as a waiter at a four star restaurant. He's a, a going from a sophomore to junior year of college, and you know traditionally to get a job at a good restaurant, you got to get a job at a startup restaurant, and then you mm-hmm. got to come in and do lunches. And I mean, he he got hired immediately. He went down thinking he was going to get a host job or something, mm-hmm. and you know gets hired as a waiter. And the kids make it four hundred bucks a, a shift and tips at this fancy restaurant. I'm like, what in the world? Twenty years old, he's not even old enough to drink, but he's serving people. You know, these drinks. So so it has changed. And I said to him, you know, when the world comes back to normal, whatever that is, you are so fortunate because you now have experience as a server at a high-end restaurant. So mm-hmm. you can get a job anywhere doing that from now on now that you have the experience. The, the downside for those people is training you. So we've seen a real shift. Um, people who, who don't, who are looking for what to do, really ought to think about maybe expanding out from their comfort zone because there's a lot of opportunities right now because people are so desperate for help. If you have a non-victim mentality, you're willing to give a lot. 
jobs that, that were untouchable to a year or two ago and the world was normal right now, you might be able to work your way into a spot that maybe you couldn't have based on your skill set or experience. That's really right. And, you know, never be afraid to take an entry level job if you're a hustler. You know, and and, and uh, you'll move up quick if you're willing to take responsibility and and if you're willing to look, <clears throat> make disciples, teaching them to obey my commands. All right. So what is Jesus commands? Well, you know, be a great steward of your own body. Well, that should mean you don't show up to work hunting over. Right. All right. Uh, work hard, be industrious. If you don't work, you don't eat. You know, mind your own business. These are all commands. These are all mm-hmm. commands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, love your neighbors yourself. Be be somebody that's always a contributor. Always be looking to take whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord. Tell me one one employer that doesn't want that person. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> Maybe the mafia or something. You know that 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 is going to be a successful commerce person when you go and do that. That's great commission activity because you're showing, you're teaching by showing this is what, this is what industry looks like. This is what great commission looks like. You know, the righteousness is a word we don't use much anymore other than self-righteousness, but it means everything works together like it's supposed to. It means the car is tuned to perfection and the engine's humming. Mm. It means the team is clicking and they're sharing the ball and scoring, racking up the points and shutting down the other team. It means that it means that the body is fine-tuned and everything's working just like it's supposed to. That's righteousness. So when we find a place where we can bless other people and we and we do that well, then that's righteousness. That's what it is. So and and if you're like me, and you end up as a steward of resources, uh, look. If if my goal was to have a lot of money to spend, I wouldn't have been good at actually earning money. Mm-hmm. People that are Peter, people that are good investors, you know what they like to do? Invest. You know what you can't do at the same time you invest? Consume. Okay, so people that are great investors usually are not big consumers. Mm. And so if you want to get a whole bunch of money so you can consume it, it would probably harm you. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, you know, God's given us richly all things to enjoy. So I I look carefully at that, make sure, you know, am I enjoying? But I don't, I don't, not only do I want, not want substances to control me, I don't want material possessions to control me. Amen. That's a good way to close this. Good talk. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. 
See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. Ken Harrison.